Hey, you're not going to bed yet, are you? That's right. It's time for TV Good, Sleep Bad. TV is awesome! Daniel Lackey and Elwood Jones. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of TV Good Sleep Bad. Um, joining me in the basement, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey. Hello. Um, if this is your first time listening to the show, this is the podcast where myself and Lackey justify all those hours of misspent TV viewing by re-watching classic, cult and obscure TV shows. And occasionally we get someone down here in the basement to subject them to the joys of these shows as well. Um, and today we're joined by someone very special to the LAM, uh, the large association movie blogs, and someone, if I was to list my saints of blogging and podcasting, he would be considered really the saint of podcasting, because through the LAMcast he has really provided this platform, which in turn has inspired so many people to go off and form their own podcasts and he's really been the guy who's given them their first break through the Lamcast. so of course it gives me the absolute pleasure to welcome to the basement today mr jay cluett well thank you i'm honored um, I, I feel like i cannot live up to that introduction and <laughs> some credit at least must be given to dylan for starting the Lamcast and starting the lamb but i'll take any credit given for continuing on i love as this replacement yeah it's i mean <laughs> We, I was like going through the other day and just like the listing of the people who did their first podcast through the Lamcast, yeah, and then went off and did their own show. I mean, That's it's tradition. People come as a, as a guest on the Lamcast, start their own podcast, and then never come back. Yeah, so. I mean, I started my first podcast on the Lamcast. Uh, don't know which episode number it was, but we were talking about Ghost World. Um, and afterwards, you sent me a really nice note saying you did a good job, and I felt you know what, I was pretty good and since then it's been sort of this addiction that's carried on i mean lucky were you also a lambcast starter um it, it's it's sort of interesting because i think i recorded my first episode of the lambcast i think i recorded it the same weekend as i recorded the first episode of the force viewing podcast i think we did the the recordings the same weekend your first um, podcast your first lambcast lucky was the shining right Way back in February of 2012. 2012, right. Yes. Yeah, I remember. God, what movies did we discuss that month on, on our podcast? I I want to say we might have done Tech the Killer Tomatoes that, that month or a couple like that, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that was um, – actually, it was so long ago. I, I don't even think you'd taken over hosting by then. I think Dylan was I had not. That, that was uh, sometime before I took over. Uh, I, I think I took over in – January 2014. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously now you are the shepherd of the lamb. Yes. Um, yes, I am. wonderful platform for, for bloggers. And, I mean, for those not familiar with what the lamb is, um, do you want to obviously explain what it is for our listeners? Yes, it's a massive hole I throw all my time into. <laughs> no. Um, what, what the lamb is, is it's a... a uh, online community of uh, of movie bloggers. It is the large association of movie blogs, the LAM. <clears throat> Essentially, if you write a movie blog, then 
and have been doing so for at least three months, then you can be a LAM member. You can sign up. You get yourself your own little number. We're up to uh, 1,824 members as of this morning. Uh, we have a podcast. We have several podcasts. Vern hosts uh, Film Pasture, which is the other podcast. It's a great place to meet other bloggers, uh, to find uh, other blogs to read, as well as try and entice other people to come and read your own blog. You can uh, you can just chat about films in general. We've got a pretty active forum going on. Uh, we we collect up all the new all the reviews of new releases every week, so you can kind of get a, gauge an opinion of what's what's good in the cinema. You know, we we try and cover all the bases of film blogging, basically. And if there's anything that you think we should do but we don't, then by all means let me know, and I'll try and get it in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the fact that you obviously the shepherd for this massive network, and the fact that you're essentially keeping it all together. You're sort of like the captain of this madhouse that we've sort of assembled, and somehow <laughs> you managed to keep it all together. Let alone the fact that you put out a weekly show. I mean, it's as we were saying before we came on, it's bad enough us trying to put together a monthly show, so <laughs> never know how you managed to do a weekly show. I, um, I've had a dickens of a time holding together a you know, a, 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 a blog of written content for the last couple months. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, actually, when Elwood was talking about how you were a saint of blogging, I thought it would have been, and podcasting, I thought it would have been not just for, you know, holding, you know, hosting the Lambcast, but also putting up with uh, the various disparate personalities, including her own. Oh, it's always a pleasure. It's, it's <laughs> genuinely recording the, the podcast every Sunday is is pretty much the highlight of my week. Um, it's that's that's why I, I I'm okay doing it. I really do enjoy it, and uh, I wanted to, that's why I took over the lamb shepherding title because I just wanted it to keep going. You know, I, yeah. I think it's it's a valuable community to be out there, and I want it I want it to stay. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, and the tr- the trick is to let your own blog die. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, my own site, Life vs. Film, not a lot happens over there anymore. I'm still struggling my way through the thousand more movies you want to see before you die list, but I'm covering far fewer than I'd really like to be. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> as I said, I mean, your own site, as you said, uh, Life vs. Film, um, you cover it, it's like an eclectic mixture. I mean, <laughs> while it's obviously the 1001 film list that you're working your way through, um, it's still you're still managing to put out there this wide variety of films. I mean, obviously, one week you do something classic, and a week you can be, like, looking at a kung fu movie. I was going through, like, your list, and I think one week you were doing, like, Come come Drink With Me, and then the next you were, like, looking at uh, some Andy Warhol movie. And it was, like, there's such variety. And I don't... For someone who obviously works in enjoyments on my own blog... I don't know how you can obviously shift so effortlessly <laughs> from one genre to the other. I need normally this sort of like go f- have these movies sort of plotted out so I can ease myself into the next genre. I can't well, just like jump from one genre to the next. Well, um, how how jarring they are kind of flows into my review sometimes because I'm I'm often because I'm I'm working my way through a list. I'm often really not in the mood for the film I'm watching at that point. So the reviews my reviews tend to be more negative than positive because I'm watching them out of a sense of requirement than actually planning to enjoy the film. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Sometimes I wonder why I'm doing, I'm, I'm watching these films. Um, yeah, for example, I, I watched a film recently, uh, Novacento, uh, 1900, which is uh, five and a half hours long. Um, it's an uh. Italian film. I think it's Bernardo Bertolucci. I could be wrong. Um, and that it's it's that was a slog to get through. That's that's on two Blu-ray discs. 
when when something overflows a Blu-ray, that's when you know this is not worth your time. And yeah, about thirty-five to forty minutes into that one, I was thinking this is going to be a really long day yeah. watching this film. <laughs> and by the time Donald Sutherland headbutted a, a a cat to death, which is something that happens in that film, I I began to wonder just what I'd gotten myself into with this viewing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I have to obviously ask you, you mentioned there that it's on two Blu-ray discs. Back in the olden days of DVDs, it used to be the case that you'd get half the movie on one side of the disc, you'd have to uh. then stop, flip it over and put the other side in. For myself, this is detaching from the movie. I need it all in one viewing. I can't be doing with this two disc nonsense. Yeah. Um, I've gone too far. This is no longer the early 90s where I'm in the Amiga and I can accept in there with my Amiga and I can accept the fact I have to put in five different discs before it lets me play one match of Street Fighter. Times have obviously come far enough for us to get it all on one disc, I would hope. Um, is this just my own personal gripe or does anyone else have an issue with switching discs over partway through a movie? Oh no, I, I still need to update my copy of Goodfellas because I've got the flip over one. And it's still that's why I don't watch it more often because I know that halfway through that film I'm going to have to get up. And flip it over and then sit back down. It's just not worth it. No, it's a good film, but Jurassic Park's all on one disc, so I'll stick yeah. with that one. Yeah. I, I don't even think I own a multi-disc movie. I don't actually own all that much on DVD. Um, the ones and the ones that I do tend to, the discs I do tend to buy, and even I don't, I don't even buy those as much anymore with the Doctor Who releases. And there are a couple like you know, eight, seven parters or eight parters that go on two discs. And, yeah. you know, at about, those aren't meant to be sit down, sat down and watched entirely in one sitting anyway. So I, I don't really mind getting up and, you know, putting on parts five through eight of whatever the eight parter was. But yeah, I don't think I ever actually owned um, or own a, a film that's uh, a film that's across two discs or across a, a DVD disc side. I envy you. <laughs> <laughs> I only found out today that the first uh, film ever put onto DVD was Twister. Yes, Twister. I love that bit of trivia. Yeah. For years, I thought it was um, <laughs> The World Is Not Enough or uh, Deep Blue Sea. I thought that one of those two was the first ever DVD, but it's actually Twister. Yep. And I don't think I knew that, yeah. but that's about right. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've had that as a question on Lampity before. <laughs> and no one got it right. <laughs> I mean... Obviously, this week on the show, we've got kind of a Doctor Who theme, I want to say, happening. As we're going to be looking at the mid-90s uh, BBC Kids TV series, The Dark Season, uh, which would be written by a future Doctor Who scribe, who I know Mr. Lackey's certainly a fan of. Russell T. Davis. Obviously, for yourself, Lackey, you, brought, uh, you gave us um, an, a story, shall I say, or assignment? I, 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 it's... Uh... They don't, I guess, have official... It's, it's like a do, old, old school Doctor Who serial. They don't have uh, official titles, my understanding. Um, generally, it's referred to either as Adventure Number 4 or Assignment Number 4. But uh, Sapphire and Steel, a four-part story, uh, unofficially entitled uh, The Man Without a Face. Um, so, it was... There was a... While going into this, I wasn't aware that there was this theme was so present... Um, obviously, when we get into these these episodes, we'll be able to cover it more. But one of the key reasons for choosing the dark season, and certainly for inviting Joan, 
was the fact that it stars a young Kate Winslet. Now, for anyone who's listened to any of Jay's shows, they will know that Mr. Clerk has something of a little bit of an obsession with uh, Mr. Winslet. (laughs) What is your obsession with Kate Winslet? Okay, I feel this may have been overstated slightly. Um, And this is kind of an accidental obsession with Kate Winslet. Right, on my site, I do the Thousand One Movies list, but I also do uh, various kind of filmmaker missions where I'm trying to watch everything from certain filmmakers. And when I stuck, because I didn't want to just watch the Thousand One Movies all the time, because a lot of them are really dreary. And a lot of the films I have to watch, I watch with my partner, and I want to make sure there were more films on that I was watching that she could watch with me. So I picked like the films of the Coen brothers and the films of Alfred Hitchcock and Steve McQueen. Cause I thought there might be some more in there that she'd be interested in. And I, I let her pick somebody. I said, Asia, you can pick anyone you like within reason and we'll watch all of their films. And, but the, 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 the trick is that, you, that she had to be there with me to watch them. So she couldn't go out, go and pick someone that I would hate to watch the films just to punish me for some reason. And she picked Kate Winslet. And I was fine with this because a lot of Kate Winslet's films I have to review somewhere else. Uh, the ones I, was ha- I hadn't seen for the most part I was interested in. So, yeah, at the, so I've, I've now since gone through and watched almost all of Kate Winslet's films. Uh, the only ones I haven't reviewed yet are Little Children and some of the ones she did uh, this year and last year. So The Dressmaker, Steve Jobs, and Triple Nine. Okay. So, which I've seen all of those apart from Triple Nine. I just haven't written the review yet. And there's a film called Plunge the Movie from 2003, which I cannot find anywhere. I'm just going to give up on. I don't think it exists. I don't think it was ever released. It's just, just it's on IMDb, but it's it's nowhere to be found. So if anybody out there knows where to find Plunge the Movie from 2003 featuring Kate Winslet, please let me know. It's <laughs> <laughs> on the case. Blackie is on the case. <laughs> Except I call it Plunge, Purge. I call it Plunge the Movie. So, uh, <laughs> Things I'm looking for. Oh, there's much. Oh, it looks things I'm. Um, Google seems to think that I'm looking for uh, the purge election year. <laughs> no, which, no, unfortunately uh, she's not in that, so I haven't got to watch that. No, but yet we watch movie movie twenty three. Forty three. Yes, there there have been some. When this list began, it was before it was announced that she would be in movie forty three, and before it was announced that she would be in Labor Day. And the Divergent series, and A Little Chaos, and Insurgent, and The Dressmaker, and all of these terrible films. She's got a run of like six films in a row that are just abysmal. Yeah. And they've all been since I've announced I was doing this. So it's like she heard, and I thought, well, I'm going to punish him then. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think when I started watching Kate Wizard movies, because it was after Titanic came out, and it seemed that every move I hit... It was Kate Winslet that was nude, and I was like, wow, does this girl ever keep her clothes on? Because it was sort of like, I watched Titanic, so nudity for Winslet. I watched Jude, again, more nudity. Heavenly Creatures, again, more nudity. It was like, just, I could not find a film with her keeping her clothes on. Not that it's a bad yep. thing, but... Once I've finished the list, I'm, I'm debating doing some kind of infographic of her nudity in films and how much and how often in, in, I, di- I haven't kept track but if I were to do that then the film that would have like, the most nudity in it is uh, 2004's Pride in which she voices a lion cub who is nude the entire time because it's a lion okay. cub they, they like <laughs> French <girls>. okay <laughs> um on to the first of tonight's sections. We're going to go into release order tonight, I think, because it's going to be the best way of doing this. So we're going to start with Sapphire and Steel. 
Um, Lucky, obviously this was your choice. Um, I'm assuming you were a fan of the show as soon as you chose it. It was something where... Uh, it was a situation where it, Sapphire and Seal is kind of like on my short list of kind of like things to go to if I can't think of anything better. Every you know, I, I have this like mental list, and it's like, oh, we should do some satire and satire and Seal, Sapphire and Steel sometime. Um, and uh, when you picked Dark Season, I thought it would be a, kind of like a good one to go along with it um, because you know British kind of sci-fi horror stuff kind of aimed at a uh, I was always under the impression that Sapphire and Steel was kind of aimed at like kind of like a, the same kind of like Doctor Who audience I'm not entirely sure that's the case after this episode but I don't know if I'd call myself a, a gigantic fan um, but it is something I, I had heard of Sapphire and Steel through my Doctor Who fandom through my interest in Doctor Who yeah. and um, it was something where I had wanted uh, always kind of wanted to watch it, um, and this kind of give, gave me a good excuse for it. Yeah, it's. So. Um, I don't know what to to say about this one because I went into it not really knowing what Sapphire and Steel was. Um, I know that it starred Ducky from NCIS, <laughs> um, which I thought you know that's not bad, and it stars Hot jo- Joanna Lumley. <laughs> Um, as opposed to um oh god who does she what was is is that Adina on um uh what's the name of her character on abfab patsy and adina i think it's adina uh, i think it's adina yes never yeah. watched it scrolling 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 <laughs> don't know uh, <laughs> um, uh patsy yeah patsy patsy and adina okay yeah and then adina must have been uh adina must have been uh the the, the, the Sar- saunders character okay yeah i i generally tend to think of David McCallum and Joanna Loomley, I tend to think of them as being the Russian guy from the original Man from Uncle, and I think Joanna Loomley did uh, a couple of um, hammers. I think she actually did a couple of the... the. Um, I think she might have played, like, uh, Peter Cushing's daughter or granddaughter in, like, Dracula AD 1971. Uh, one of those. Well, I, I know David McCallum as being Ashley Pitt from The Great Escape. Great Escape is one of my favorite films. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so. I always forget he's in the. Well, there's so many people in the Great Escape. I know, but that's that, like when I, when I started watching this, I'm like, oh my god, it's him. That's the only thing yeah. I've seen him in. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're completely right. Like, I mean, she was in. Um, she played Jessica Van Helsing in the Satanic Rites of Dracula. Satanic Rites of Dracula. Yeah. Um, which obviously was the last time a Dracula film to star Christopher Lee. For myself, when I think of her early career, though, I don't tend to think of her film career. I tend to think of her as Purdy in the New Avengers. Right. Um, which obviously, whenever I, you mention the Avengers to my dad, it would just always be like this whole argument over which Avengers uh, psychic was hotter, whether it was Purdy or Diana Reagan. It's like, oh, for Christ's sake. This... Honor Blackman. Yeah. And it's... Oh, it was... Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> it was sort of like, that's this. And I think that's why I was so kind of misled because it had been around the same period. I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of like the Avengers. But it's not no. really. It's kind of, as you say, it's more like got a more sort of a Doctor Who sort of theme to it. Um, it certainly a starling. I mean, I mean, do you want to obviously explain what Sapphire and Steel is about? Oh, I don't know. Anybody can, can, can <laughs> explain what Sapphire and Steel is about. Quick kind of summary, and some of this is touched on in the the, day, the, the, the opening serial. And some of this is just kind of stated throughout the series, and some of this is just really kind of like either supposition or implication. But 
very early on, I think it's in the, it, this is a, a show that was uh, ran from 79 to 82 um, on ITV, produced by ATV, and it was created by Peter J. Hammond. Uh, Peter J. Hammond, um, probably best known, still alive, still active. He actually wrote a couple episodes of uh, Torchwood, the first two seasons of Torchwood. Um, and uh, in in the opening serial, it, it is explained that time is kind of like a conscious force. And every there are ways in which and this is where it kind of gets sticky um whether they are malevolent entities that live within time or time itself uh which is a malevolent which may be a malevolent entity can somehow break into the physical realm um and they manifest themselves in ways that are similar to ghosts you know spectral imagery you know things you you can hear in the background but you know strange noises things you can hear in the background but can't quite make out and stuff like that to keep these malevolent forces from breaking through to the physical world and causing their some sort of destructive havoc there is as the opening narration of the intro explains some sort of organization of individuals um that's not mentioned here but i think it's the first serial where someone asks i think it's sapphire are you aliens and she says yes in the extraterrestrial sense so let's say they're individuals and their job is to basically investigate and kind of put right these instances these cracks through which um malevolent forces can bleed into the into the um into the physical realm and sapphire and steel follows um big surprise here uh every all of the characters are all of these these individuals are codenamed after like rocks or metals or elements minerals, uh, of, some minerals of some sort um the the two we follow throughout the the series obviously are sapphire and steel um we meet two others over the course of the, the series. Um, Silver, who was played by the great David Collins, um, uh, who probably, if you're any familiar any familiarity with um, uh, 70s British cult television, you would remember him as Chief Mover Poole from the Doctor Who's uh, Robots of Death. Um, and then there's another one that he shows up a couple times, and then there's another one named Lead. But Sapphire and Steel, Sapphire being played by... Joanna Loomley, Steel being played by David McCallum. Uh, are these alien individuals that basically their job is to, to show up on Earth? Um, they, they have some capacity to travel in time. Um, most of these stories take place in the modern day. There is one that takes place, if I recall correctly, in the near future. There is one, I believe, that takes place in the 40s or 50s. And um, in this particular story, um, which, like I said, is called uh, unofficially entitled The Man Without a Face, um, basically what, ha- what, what happens, and it's never really explained kind of like how they find this out, but what draws them to this situation is that there's this um, abandoned shop of some sort, and children have kind of been showing up there that really shouldn't be there. 
Um, and what happens is it basically turns out that um, one of these malevolent entities from within time has broken through. This is a little bit hard to understand. I think the implication was is that he, this, this, in, this, this entity basically broke through by somehow managing to get him itself into like the first photograph ever taken and by extension every photograph ever taken. And what he's doing, or what it's doing, is it's taking children out, photos of children, and, and embodying them. So they're not really the children themselves, but they're sort of like reflections of children. And putting other people into these photographs. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the original owner of the shop, that was his fate. And then uh, about halfway through the first episode, we meet the lone remaining human resident of this... Uh, this this building which has like a cellar and then the shop and then a couple flats above the shop, a woman named Liz, whose occupation we never get a, a clear read on, other than that she's always getting ready for work. I think it's implied that she's and, a prostitute. And it's, it's implied that she's, <laughs> the implication, yeah, was that she's a prostitute or a uh, a stripper, because uh, she all she ever says is that she works at a club. Well, she also says that she's she's used to like making hasty escapes yes, in the, in the yes, morning, kind of thing. Of, um, Lots yeah, of sneaking a lot of, around. A lot of kind yeah. of implications about her, um, but yeah, it is kind of implied that she's like one of the less savory um, professions. But basically, she's the only person, like human, like resident left, um, and this entity manifests itself he this entity can take the faces various faces of, of people it's seen but in ordinary ordinarily he just basically shows up as a a youngish man in a suit you know brown hair but with no literally no face no facial features no nose ears mouth eyes any and in what is i think probably the most striking effect um i thought very well done considering that Sapphire and Steel was done in the late 70s um, at a time when a lot of effects budgets were, um, if I recall correctly, in the late 70s, the, the, the British economy tanked for various reasons. And I think it was about on the, the, the um, kind of like on the edge of recovery, um, similar circumstances to what happened in the United States. But um, a lot of, I mean, this was, you can really tell that this story was done on a shoestring budget. In addition to Sapphire and Steel, you have, I think, five speaking roles and three sets across a hundred minutes of content. Um, so I think with what they were, with what they were given, I thought they really pulled off the faceless man effect rather well. And it is the one, from what I've been able to tell, why I, I picked this particular one, other than it is only four parts, as opposed to some of the other ones which are long, much longer, um, is that this seems to be the one that's best remembered. People always seem to remember the one with the man without a face, to the point where um, in the second series of the Doctor Who revival, um, one of the episodes, The Idiot's Lantern, written by um, Mark Gatiss of the League of Gentlemen, but also a guy who really knows his British TV and, and, and film horror, um, put in um, 
put in kind of a uh, an homage to this story by including a, a, an entity which steals people's faces. So, um, it is a very interesting, I think, mix of genres. It it's it it it's set up like science fiction. It's but it's very atmospheric and it's filmed in a stark manner, recorded in a stark manner. And, and kind of presented almost as a ghost story. There's something, I think, very, if not necessarily gothic, very kind of spook, very spooky Edwardian type thing going on here uh, with um, particularly the way the kids are lit. The children who come out of sepia-toned photographs um, and um, kind of the way they light the, the kids and dress the kids. They dress them in these very drab gray garments and they, they, they have certain lighting on them where they look they don't necessarily look sepia toned but they look kind of grayish and washed out those are kind of the positives the negative I would say about this one in particular is that this is late 70s British science fiction this is incredibly slow moving piece of, of, of entertainment I I remember thinking in episode three, how long does it take one woman to get ready for work? <laughs> yes. You know, particularly because Liz had been wearing, you, you actually see Liz putting the wig on. I think it takes her an entire episode just to get the wig in place. Well, and and those jangly bracelet things that yeah. I was hoping would be relevant to the plot somehow because they were really starting to annoy me. But every time <laughs> every time she moves, just this clank, 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 clank. I'm like Tin Man walking around. And yeah. They they play into it nothing. They're just there to be annoying. <laughs> yeah, I mean Jay, you obviously these shows were obviously thrust upon you yes. um, for this episode <laughs> because we're nice like that. I mean, what did you obviously make of Sapphire and Sapphire and Still? Well, I went into this similar to you, Elwood, knowing absolutely nothing about the show other than I guessed that it would have two protagonists whose names would be Steel and Sapphire. I was kind of thought it would be something like Rosemary and Time, where they were just regular people who, and they were their surnames and they were some kind of crime fighting duo or whatever so the whole science fiction aspect threw me a little bit but I I found it difficult to kind of as, as Lucky was saying um, really get get a grip on the tone because it's you know gothic in places with the, the kids and, the, and ghostly but sci-fi and others and I, I found that mix odd but not unappealing I um, I didn't hate this show I, I I really I'm not gonna watch any more <laughs> mainly because I didn't like the main characters of Sapphire and Steel. They seemed very humorless, very kind of stern and lacked anything even resembling chemistry. Yeah. Um which I, I was surprised at by these actors. I think it's more the case of the characters than anything else. They just seem very it's, very serious, very driven on their job. It's very interesting because I often hear in, in or see in, in, in pieces people write about this that sapphire and steel are supposed to have a flirtatious relationship and i'm like okay these <laughs> these this is like watching robots trying to flirt with each there other. was there was one moment in the last episode where kind of um steel says that it must have been um trying to impress all the ladies and, and sapphire says well at least he tried or something and there's this yeah. barest hint of a smirk between the two of them and then right. back, back to frozen face. Yeah. Back to turn turn that switch off. Back to normal, default mode. 
I've yeah, I found this one hard. <laughs> um, I think mainly because I'm used to Dermot McCollum actually giving me performances with some kind of life, rather than him just being a presence. There, the same with John uh, Lumley. She's an actress who's got such energy, even if her later roles when she's not playing the sex symbol role that she was playing, like obviously in the seventies. Uh, when you see her in things like Wolf of Wall Street. And she's got such presence and energy. Uh, and here it's just, both of them are just like, are so flatlined. And I was, I mean, I w- went into it and it was sort of like doing the build up. And I thought, oh, this can be like an old school Doctor Who episode, like a Tom Baker years episode. And we have this slow build up. And, you know, by the time we get into the third and fourth episode, things will pick up pace and we have some sort of antics or some sort of action. There'd be like some, they pull some amazing resolution out of it but it just was so plodding the <laughs> plotting here and I just find it such a struggle to get through because as you said we watched the uh, the stripper woman, woman get dressed for about three episodes um, and I couldn't the other thing which annoyed me is the fact that I couldn't place where it was supposed to be in sort of time whether it's supposed to be in like the Victorian era with obviously the way the man with no face is dressed and the children are dressed and the fact that she puts on the record and it plays very modern music and she's like, oh, this is uh, awful music, but I guess it's, it's bearable. And I'm thinking, well, the only way that a character's going to sort of think like that is if they're like from that Victorian era and they played a piece of modern music. That's how they probably associate with it. So it kind of threw me off where, where what the sort of time period was. And the fact that we're spending four episodes essentially watching these characters wander around a junk shop um, they never really go outside apart from to the courtyard and the the very minor conflict between Saffron Steel and the man with no face is supposedly all powerful entity um, we occasionally get those Doctor Who style cliffhangers where um, is it Sapphire? That, no uh, yeah Sapphire she's um, being threatened by a bunch of views holding umbrellas <laughs> Yeah, the, the first cliffhanger. Yeah, that was wonderful. Um, <laughs> which again has that great resolution. The next episode, it's like, wait a minute, these are just paper. Yeah, <laughs> which I find kind of light. Um, but yeah, the moments I enjoyed were so few and far between here that I don't think I would come back to this series. It was kind of interesting for the first couple, but I think by the time I got into episode three, the charm, if any, of the show. I mean, such. The neat little things like the, the actual man without without a face, that that cool little mask uh, sort of effect that they used there, they were kind of wearing a bit thin, and the fact that nothing seemed to be happening just really sort of was getting to me. So it was kind of a struggle for the last, I would say, the from halfway between halfway of uh, season episode three onwards, uh, it was a bit of a struggle to get through this one. But uh, I I couldn't quite work out why the faceless man was kind of collecting the children. Like what his what he was doing, like why he wanted to do to do that. Like I I, I have really I have an issue he's... with I have an issue with like unexplained villain plots in you know, most superhero films, and this because I just I don't know what what his motivation was. Did he just want these kids to be able to play and not be stuck in a photo? Are the fact that they're in a photo does that mean that their real life self is not play? I. I, I couldn't quite get behind the, the photo logic, like at, at the end when, uh, when when he says to Liz that he like 
vapor burns and she's told to burn burn every photograph of her there is and not have any more taken. Does that mean that if the faceless man comes back and does link to a photo of her, it would affect her real life self? Because that's just I, making up new rules. And I, I wanted an answers to that that never came. Yeah, it's... <laughs> the rules are... Even the rules are, I think, kind of like kind of hard to get, you know, one's mind around. They they have Sapphire and Seal have these kind of they have certain um these these powers that I, I seem to be fairly consistent. Um Sapphire can like take a subset of reality and forward, fast forward or rewind through time. Um they uh Steel I think has some sort of form of um uh, telekinetic power. He can uh, freeze himself to pretty much absolute zero. Um, my absolute favorite power, which I mentioned on um, Facebook, was that uh, Sapphire, and this was one of my, I thought, really neat little effects. Um, Sapphire has the power to read, apparently, mail without <laughs> opening it. There's this yeah. one scene where she's just going through the, the old mail of the guy who had owned the shop before. And she's just, she's taking an envelope, putting her hand over it. And you'll hear this sort of noise on the soundtrack and she'll put it aside and she'll wave her hand over the next one. And the same thing will happen. And you even keep hearing that noise throughout the rest of the scene. She's continuing to read mail without opening the envelope. As powers go, it's a pretty pathetic one. Well, if you give me an extra 10 or 15 minutes, I'll have the same information she does. Just by opening them up and reading them, and opening mm-hmm. the next one up and reading it, it's just <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. <laughs> but yeah, the slowness, and I mean, definitely the the sort of alienness of the protagonists is it's 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 definitely a feature, not a bug. But it is something that has like like I said earlier, I I tried to watch this series several times, and I never make it really past. Um, like about two or three episodes into the second serial, which is like eight parts, because it is just so slow. And it is just so... I I don't want to knock something for having... I understand that it's a low-budget show. Probably most of the budget probably went into hiring McCallum and Loomley. Um, But it's just watching four people wander throughout the same five sets for... um, for a couple of hours, it kind of gets annoying. You know, much in the same way that the third, early third season of Lost can get annoying, where it just seems like they're, they're just going between the beach and some base and another base and the beach and some base and another base for, like, seven straight episodes. And the hatch. And the hatch. Yeah. <laughs> first, or, like, the first three or four episodes of Heroes, where... You know, which starts off with Peter Petrelli threatening to jump off a roof, and four episodes later, he's still standing on the top of that building, <laughs> threatening to jump off the fucking roof. You know, to the point where I want to just go into the picture, push Milo Ventimiglia off the roof, and say, "Get on with it, Flyboy." Yeah, I, heroes for myself. It's when they killed off the most interesting character, the heroin user who can predict the future when he's strung out on heroin. Oh yeah. I was like, that's so, that, if we're going to do a super, modern superhero show, that should be the basis. This sort of, this Alan Moore style of superhero. Right. Where you can be a superhero, but you've got, you got to be flawed. 
Um, the same way that his version of Alan Quatermain's like a schoolgirl ass in pederast in right. uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and, or um, uh, Invisible Man is a, a lecherous rapist. Yeah, it is this sort of flaw, and I, that's why when Heroes was announced and they were like going through these characters, it's all like, oh, we're going to have the Invincible Cheerleader, and I was like, oh, that you know that's cool, and then it was like, oh, we've got this artist and he paints the future but only when he's strung out in heroin i was like that's such an awesome idea this is like yeah. a proper adult way of doing a superhero is mm. because if it was a child's superhero you can't do drugs and alcohol and those sort of uh dark elements but obviously if right. it's an adult show you can and they of course killed him off yeah um and i i'd never i don't think i ever made it through the first season it's heroes is one of those shows i need to go and and watch just so I can say that I did it, even though I've I've been forewarned that it pretty much falls off the rails and careers off the embankment towards a nuclear power station next to a school for bunnies. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's sort of um, a disaster. As for myself, I gave it. Most people basically feel that it tend tend to feel that it jumped the shark around the time they did a a, a, a flashback episode that was mostly in black and white. Um, not for any, uh, just a stylistic reason. When I say flashback episode, it flashbacks, I think, a whole six months into the past. Um, but it is, other than it's hilarious, absolutely hilarious, because it does manage to put George Takei, Eric Roberts, and Christopher Eccleston all into the same scene. Somewhere, somewhere, somebody's bingo (laughs) card has been, uh, checked off there. Um, Later on, the, 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 the cop from Castle shows up with a bad Israeli accent for about five minutes. It, but the, after the second, the problem with Heroes, of course, was that there was a writer's strike the following year. That was the, the, the you know, the, the, the fig leaf for that was, you know, that was, you know, the year after that was when we had our big, you know, Writer's Guild strike. Um, and, um, you know, that really scuppered a lot of the plans for the second and third volumes. Um but honestly, I don't. I don't feel it ever really. I, I continue to watch it. I think a little bit into the third season, and, and at which point I just gave up and I said I can't handle this anymore. I watched two two episodes of Heroes Reborn and said, "Okay, this is just the same crap." <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be happy to know Heroes Reborn has been axed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the hatches really swung wide and wide and far this uh, year on series. There's been. A lot of shows have been axed after one season. Uh, Limitless has faced the axe. Yeah. Um, at the same time, that. we've got this whole slew of shows based on films coming out. I mean, we've got Lethal Weapon. We've got uh, New MacGyver coming out. We've got yeah. Training Day, the TV series. We've got Rush Hour, the TV series. Yeah, Rush Hour, Rush Hour, I think over here it's already premiered. Um, yeah, it has here Rush as Hour. well, yeah. Okay. You, just, you just listed a bunch of stuff I'm never going to watch. Um I think this is this is the kind of point. It's either that or the reinventing shows such as Twenty Four has got some sort of spin off. Uh the Blacklist has got a spin off. Um Kevin James is essentially doing King of Queens again, but with a different show. I, my my mother asked me, it's like, why is he playing the same thing again? And I'm like <laughs> I'm, my, my, my response to this is well, <laughs> he's gotta do something. He's got to do something, you know, between you know the acting gigs that his friend, the, the movie gigs that his friend Adam Sandler gets him. Yeah. Um, so why is he doing the same thing again? You can say that for everything he ever releases. It's so. like, 
has he ever done anything other than the same old thing? The one that the thing that got axed, it got axed before it even got ordered before it even aired or really ordered to series was they were going to do a grim and gritty um, adult Nancy Drew series, which I thought sounded like it had potential, but they're not going forward with that. So a grim and gritty version. Is she strung out heroin as well? I, I that's what I was hoping. You know, I, I I was hoping that it would be kind of like the Veronica Mars movie would have been like if it had been seven. You know, so <laughs> I might have watched it. <laughs> uh, well, keep in mind Veronica Mars because uh, that will actually may tie into what we're going to be covering next week. But hey. we'll be going into that uh, at the end of the show. I mean, obviously back to Sapphire and Steel. I mean, do we have anything else to really say about this? Because for myself, it was just it wasn't a a fun experience. I mean, this is a show that never officially had an ending. I think if I'm to be writing from what I've read, it basically ends them with them in a trapped in an intergalactic motorway cafe. Yeah. And um, basically they never made any more because uh, David McCallum and Joanna Loomley, um, they had busy schedules. They had other things to do and they just didn't feel like doing it anymore. Nope. Um, Apparently there is a, Reboot or remake in development um, from Neil Cross, the creator of Luther, who also contributed a couple scripts to the final um, half season of Matt Smith's run on Doctor Who. A couple of the really, really good scripts, including, I can't remember the name of it, but it was the one that, that starred um, Gray Scott and Jessica Rain. Okay. So, Luther, but, that's, yeah. Luther's I'm, the one with Idris Elba, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, it's uh, I, the only reason that it just came to mind because I have a friend over here in the UK. We've just recently added a feature on Sky Boxes where if you're watching a TV show, if they've got the box set, you can actually flick to the next episode. And in the other, Idris Elba shows up at the end of every episode. And my friend is very keen to know that if uh, they press the green button, if Idris Elba will show up or not. <laughs> I think they're not so bored about watching the TV it's just more the fact of Idris Elba showing up on their couch they're very excited about and it's sort of like oh it doesn't appear to work oh why don't we play Twister or something so that sounds like uh, Idris Elba uh, on your couch <laughs> that sounds like Will Slater's nightmare <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> now um, what one thing I did I don't know if we've been on Sapphire and Steel, we mentioned the faceless man. The the image of him kind of turning around in the photos, like a montage of him flipping from photo to photo and turning around. I really liked that image and what they did with that. I found it a very, very kind of creepy and evocative kind of image. Yeah, I, I thought it was, for the most part, this is something that ordinary would have been, ordinarily would have been in my wheelhouse. You know, very claustrophobic, intimate, very creepy very spooky. I think maybe it would I would have enjoyed it a lot more if it had been cut cut down to two episodes. Yeah, I, I think I, this is the sort of thing that, um, that, you know, I I think there's a lot of potential in doing a remake of this. Um, you know, with with modern using modern storytelling convention. You know, if you compress these things into a nice condensed hour or hour and a half, I think it would be a lot more effective. I think they could have done more with the whole. Trapping people in a photo and setting fire to it and killing yeah. them. I think I think that was a, an interesting concept that it didn't really take far enough. Maybe because it would be good if we'd like gotten to know the person in the photo who died, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure how they would have done that with this plot, but yeah. 
yeah. Um, that's all I have about this, really. Same here. Same here. Um, right, I mean, on that note, we're just going to take a quick break. Uh, when we return, though, we'll be looking at our second selection of the evening. We'll be looking at the dark season. In a world where podcasts already seem to address every imaginable subject, one man broke new ground with a seemingly random obsession about exploding helicopters in movies. He was a podcaster on the edge, a maverick broadcaster who played by his own rules. Now, he has a last chance to talk about the strange way helicopters explode in film. Exploding Helicopter, available on iTunes and Podomatic now. Think you know about chopper fireballs? Think again. And we're back. Um, Still joining me, as always, I've got my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey. Hi. And our special guest tonight, Mr. Jay Cluett from Life vs. Film. Hello. In the first half, we obviously looked at Sapphire and Steel. Now, still on our Doctor Who-esque trip, we're going to skip forward slightly forward in time through to 1991 to the Russell T. Davis scripted The Dark Season. This is my selection for this particular episode, and this is a show which really stuck with me from my early childhood. The main reason being that it scared the bloody crap out of me as a child. And this was shown at tea time, so this is 5 o'clock showing, and this was scary as hell back then. I'm probably going to get blistered because probably watching this as adults, it's probably not that scary, but this is had the same presence and feeling of watching like old Doctor Who, like Sylvester McCoy years, and it's been rumoured that this st- script for The Dark Season started off as a rejected script that Russell C. Davis had submitted back in 1987 to Andrew Cartmill at the time, and he basically had it rejected and turned it into the script that we have now. Um, obviously, Russell C. Davis is probably best known for Doctor Who and doing Queerest Folk, so this is kind of an oddity, and it's kind of a shame we never saw more of these projects with him, and the most we ever saw was obviously his work on the revival of Doctor Who. Um, the season itself, it's uh, six episodes long and it's split essentially two stories joined together. The first three episodes, um, seeing this mysterious fellow called Mr. Eldritch, who has got bleach blonde hair, wears dark shades, wears dark overcoats all the time and just speaks in a menacing tone all the time. And basically he's turns up at this school and he's giving away free computers and of course our little trio of heroes um, here t- we have uh, Tom Reet played by the young Kate Winslet and the female Doctor Who I want to call her and general misfit Marcy played by Victoria Lambert who is younger than both Tom and Reet and has taken to carrying a paddle around with her for no real reason apart from as she explains it where's you never know when you'll be up the creek. Again, this is the Dot 2 reference coming in there, but as they soon discover, these computers are part of a plot by Mr. Eldritch uh, that plans to use them to mind control the students and create a little mini uprising. The second story we have um, sees an introduction of a new villain of sorts. We have Miss Pendragon, the turban-wearing neo-Nazi, um, who's determined to dig up the supercomputer known as the Beermoth, which conveniently has been buried under the school. And for these series, it's really this idea of technology and Juice X Machina being combined within this sort of Grange Hill high school setting. So it's, it's like Grange Hill meets yeah. Black Mirror. 
Kind of. Yep, I can see that. How the heck do you know what Grange Hill is? <laughs> um, because he's I an anglophile. Because I'm an right. anglophile. I get I've, that, I've, I've but there's heard, a limit. There should I've be a limit seen, to your anglification. I've, I've and... never seen Grange Hill. <laughs> okay. Are you a fan of Biker Grove? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. okay, good. The main, thing, the main thing I know, I think the main reason I, I have heard of Grange Hill is because the headmaster, if I remember correctly, the headmaster on that show was played by the guy who played Hitler in uh, uh, Last Crusade, Michael yeah. Sheer. And um, they did a survey in Empire Magazine once where they were doing the best Hitler lookalikes, and his was the highest rated. That's <laughs> chap's um, boy. The one that came second was uh, was um, the one was in the bunker. Bruno Ga- Bruno Gans. Yeah, Bruno Gans from Downfall. Downfall. Yeah, he was uh, he came second. I can see that. Where did Chaplin come? I'm not too sure where Chaplin <laughs> came. I think he came around the same place as the uh, guy who played Hitler in Hail Honey, I'm Home. Um, <laughs> The BBC's attempt at making uh, <laughs> Hitler into a sort of a sort of sitcom character. I think that's the one for another show. But well, yeah. I mean, you're the you're the people that managed to can't come up with Allo Allo. So, mm. but what's your problem with Allo Allo? I <laughs> see I no no, no issues with that show. <laughs> I've never seen it. That show is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, and I'll say that only once. Yeah, I mean, this is 1991, so this is back when the BBC was putting out quality output, uh, rather than now where they basically take your money and force you to watch whatever they churn out. Right from the start, it's got that Doctor Who sort of atmosphere to it. It's got the moody music. It's got this sort of creeping sense of dread and the this feeling that you're not sure what's going on, but there's clearly something afoot. And it's got... It very carefully teases it out, and we get weird zombie children in the first episode in the second one we get this super creepy computer that's got a life of its own and there's so many wonderful elements that even now yes it some of the effects aren't particularly great the computers look awful uh there's Uh, only 30 there's only about five minutes of incidental music um and they keep repeating it over and over (laughs) and over throughout the episodes that's also something it has in common with uh sylvester mccoy or doctor who (laughs) I mean, obviously, Lucky, you're the resident Doctor Who fan. So, what did you obviously make of the Dark Season? I mean, obviously, this well, is, for myself, very similar to the Sylvester McCoy years. So, Well, the, the first thing I have to, of course, point out here is the presence of, of um, not only Jacqueline Pierce as Miss Pendragon, Jacqueline Pierce, of course, best known for playing Servalan on Blake 7, um, which was kind of like a a twin series to Doctor Who for a while, but also in the, uh, I don't remember his name, but the the, the, the computer programmer or the, the computer, the, the guy that the, the sort of guy's like, oh, the with the Polish name, that guy was played by Cyril Shapps, who was probably best known. Uh, he, he did several Doctor Whos. He's known for dying off in over-the-top ways in, on old Doctor Who, but he is, I think, the main human baddie in the definitive cyber story, uh, Tomb of the Cybermen. In 67 and or 68 one of those years it starts with a six um and uh, uh bridget forsyth who played miss maitland apparently was in was like ruth maxtable in... Ooh, 
I, the evil of the Daleks. The, well, the evil that I wouldn't have run that because the evil of the Daleks. There's like only like five minutes of that left anymore. Well, um, it's all according to IMDb. I have no idea if it's true or not. It's <laughs> probably true. It's probably true. Really, uh, you can definitely tell. Um, the now, uh, according to the um, the, uh, the the Wikipedia page for Dark Season, the only conscious reference to Doctor Who that Davis is willing to admit to is, um, I think, when we first meet Marcy, she's playing with a yo-yo, and that's um, uh, I, I, that's an obvious homage to Do- uh, Tom Baker's Doctor Who. Um, and I think this was also something that was picked up by the uh, Sylvester McCoy one on a couple of occasions. Um, would use a yo-yo to judge gravity. It's it's Reet, it's Kate Winslet who's got the yo-yo, because the, the three kids they've got, they have a thing each. She's got a yo-yo, Marcy's got the, the paddle, and Thomas <laughs> always has a skateboard with him, which at one oh. point he, he throws very pathetically at some people trying to attack him. He just okay. kind of <laughs> passes oh. the skateboard to their feet. <laughs> You know, and and various people have mentioned, you know, noticed other, you know, kind of possible links to Doctor Who. There's definitely kind of like, um, really, the second story, the 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 Behemoth story, really, I think, kind of reminds me of like some of the the, the classic Tom Baker, the more philo- philosophical ones. You know, uh, I, again, I'm I'm tempted to to bring up another one, um, uh, the Face of Death where Tom Baker uh, lands on a... That's the story that, you know, um, introduced Leela. Tom Baker lands on a, um, a planet where they have carved Tom Baker's face into a mountain, and they, he's got to find out why. And it's one of those evil computer stories. But in this case, the, he kind of talks the evil computer. He basically plays kind of like psychologist to it um, and trying to clear up its neuroses through the talking cure instead of just blowing it up. Um, and that's almost akin to what um, Marcy does um, in uh, the final episode, where she they, they have this kind of you know discussion with her and um, you know Eldritch and the computer, where they're basically trying to the, the you know the computer's trying to figure out should I you know should I you know destroy the world? These are Doctor Who ish plots, if nothing else. Even if you can, even if you like, even the. Um, kind of like the structure of the protagonist where Marcy is definitely kind of the leader of the crew and the smart one um, and she takes a mentorial kind of um, error with the other two. She's always her recurring phrases. If it's one thing I've taught you, it's one thing I've taught you, it's that to never do this, it's to never guess, it's to never make assumptions or it's to always ask questions and stuff like that. To the other two who would basically, you know, people have mentioned, you know, Marcy is the Doctor, Reet and Thomas are the companions. These are Doctor Who type stories. They've got, they, they, they have their explosions, they have their golly gee wow action stuff. But at, at, the, at, at the center of it, there's kind of like a, a, a philosophical or a moral conundrum. It's not just about blowing things into oblivion. It's, it's, it's really about kind of, he's... Um, it's not, I, I think this is, you can tell this is very early on in Davis's career, um, because he doesn't, um, you know, because he, he doesn't, not all of these things are, are, are thought out or, or developed as coherently as they could be, and it's, um, the one that really cracked me up is the central twist of the first three episodes, is that, and I can't remember the character's name again, but the Cheryl, Cheryl Shapps character, um, Pulzinski. Yeah. Pulzinski. The whole thing is is that Eldritch and his little clique of um 
like uh, like like computer, you know, millennial computer nerds. They 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 worship this guy who had made this human computer interface. And they want to use it to destroy the world. Um, and they, they've even kidnapped him. It turns out that he, you know, by a stroke of luck, he lives in the same neighborhood as like Reeton Thomas. Um, and there's this basic twist that um, they have him and they need him to help, but you know, um, the twist is, of course, is that they've only ever known him by his last name. So what they don't, you know, they don't know is that he's not the, the computer genius in the family. His wife is, you know, and because they've only ever known the name Professor Whatever, they don't know that it's actually a woman, which was probably, it's actually a, a very clever twist until you realize, yes, they're obsessed with this guy, but they've done absolutely no research on him. <laughs> I love yeah. the fact she pulls the old school computer out of a trunk. I, yeah, I mean, you know, trust the, um, you know, trust the British to put, um, you know, to put a a whiz bang piece, lap, um, a whiz bang laptop PC into a into a a crate that looks like it would be used to house an, an Enigma machine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jay. I mean, obviously, again, this is another thing we thrust upon you. Um, I, mainly for the Kate Winslet connection. Yeah. So, I mean, what was your thoughts on the Dark Season? I mean, you're obviously a fellow Brit. I mean, how can you tell? Yes. yes. Um, well, well spoken tone. How did we ever guess? Uh, I mean, well, do you this, remember this as a kid? Or was, uh, no, this, this came out when I was four, uh, so I was a little young for it, and I, I, I have only ever been familiar with it because I've just seen it on Kate Winslet's TV and thought, I don't review her TV stuff. I'll never have to get. I'll never have to watch that. That's fine. <laughs> Until today, um, and I, I can't say I overly enjoyed this experience. Um, I'm not a fan of Russell T. Davies. He's one of the reasons I I kind of stopped watching Doctor Who. Um, I think Lackey just got up and left. No, and this hey, you're this, allowed. <laughs> this this show has uh, some of my problems with his writing. For example, the the twist at the end of that first half where it's revealed it's the the wife is the professor. Fine with that twist, but there's kind of a deus ex machina element to it where she's got this this like uh, rival code rival program that she wants to upload and that will stop the whole evil plan and I've, I've found that Russell T Davies has a, a tendency to do this with his with his uh, his writing he'll always introduce some kind of element right at the end that hasn't been mentioned ever beforehand and that will save the day in the last few minutes and i don't like that kind of writing i find that to be pretty lazy um and we have that here so I, the, the first half of this i didn't much care for second half just it's ridiculous and i had a bit more fun with like just the, the awful wigs that all those <laughs> Terrible blonde wigs everyone's wearing, and all the kids in their like pastel sweat sweatsuits. Yeah, everyone's wearing pastel in this film. No one wears pastel. No one's ever worn pastel, even yeah. in the early nineties. Uh, just, I love the fact that there is um, a review I stumbled across on the BBC Cult section, and you've got these four reviewers, and I think they've obviously come to this as as adults, and that they're criticising it's like, oh, you can tell the budget because of how cheap the wigs were looking. I'm thinking, no, this is how BBC productions generally looked back then. <laughs> the stories are obviously better, but 
at the same time, there wasn't the money to really invest in sets and props and things. And it's certainly when you look at things like the Sylvester McCoy Doctor years and the fact that they filmed like episodes like Greatest Show on Earth, and it was all basically shot in a tent in a car park. Yeah. Um, and there's some real creativity in, in those sort of episodes and where effects either worked or they really didn't. So there was no sort of go-between. And I think because I was like coming up watching those things and being of that, that era and seeing what else was on, I was a little more forgiving when I see things like those awful blonde wigs. Um, the fact that because someone, the supposedly chosen Nazi, we should call him, um, falls down a hole and hurts his arm that he somehow can't be used in the machine yeah. despite the fact he doesn't have to use his arms at all right that's that's the thing the, the uh, uh, pen dragon wants to have this perfect specimen to be the the sacrifice for the machine but that's just something she wants and isn't anything necessary yeah. and i felt like that just added an episode to this this ordeal like what that was the plot of episode four just keeping this this <laughs> figure intact and then he breaks his arm and says, oh let's use thomas instead I, for no reason to use Thomas either. Anyone could have done this. Anyone could have done that, and I, I found that frustrating. Yeah, but Thomas, they're like, oh, he's the chosen one. He's got blonde hair, and then it's like, it's died. Wait a minute, your hair's died. Painted heathen. Um, <laughs> just the, the three main characters are unbearable. Like, oh, all three. Like, Reed and Thomas are just just stupid, and not usefully so. They just. They, they're a hindrance. I don't know why Marcy hangs out with them. They just kind of get in the way all the time. And Marcy just... Oh, I couldn't I couldn't stand being in her presence. I found it just in, intolerable as a character. Okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's like he mentioned, um, mentioned a minute ago that when we get to the scene with the beer moth at, at the end and you've got this sort of like scene where they're trying to reason with reason with the beer off so it can decide whether it's going to destroy the world as it's essentially been programmed to do or if it's going to shut itself down for myself it really brought back uh brought to mind the end of war games where matthew broderick um teaches the the war computer that you can have a draw through the use of tic-tac-toe um, and it just felt like that that scene was being played in a different way the fact that it was teaching beer off you know that you don't have to have a win or lose situation. The fact that you know you can just shut yourself down and and, and have a draw, essentially. Yeah, you don't have to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the most irritating aspect for myself is our little SWAT character. Oh, Olivia. Oh, who, <laughs> again, this is a, another real. She's a real Doctor Who style character. She is where she's there with little nerdy glasses and. She's like Velma. A, and a lovely uh, pastel sweater. And, uh, of course, she turns into weird zombie child because of she gets uh, mixed, subjected to this program um, of symbiosis, which is obviously going to throw the world into chaos in this first story. And I've, the scene where she's in the back of the teacher's car, I remember scaring the hell out of me as a child. <laughs> uh, how, old, how old were you when you watched this? I need to I understand why know. you were scared. <laughs> Let me see. So, born eighty three, ninety one. So, I don't know. Eight, so eight, nine, okay. eight, nine. Okay, I'll, I'll, I understand that then. Fair we enough. were easily scared back in the nineties. We just come out of a cold war for Christ's sake. People were a lot more scared back then, but well, old jaded obviously is 
sets you lot were obviously watching this now as an adult. Um, yeah, it's not designed for 28-year-olds. No. I, <laughs> I mean, but saying that, I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed the story still. I thought it was, it was fun. Yes, it's a bit cheesy in places, and but I just generally enjoyed what we would now, obviously, what before we would say was a Doctor Who vibe, and now, which had, as lucky you think said at the start, there would be more of a Black Mirror-esque vibe that this has to it. Um, especially with its dependence on technology being the main running theme. I mean, if you read the book of this, there is actually a, a setup for a third story We're involving an evil arcade owner. Um, so whether Eldrick came back for that one or not, I'm not too sure, because essentially from all circumstances here, he gets vaporized at the end of the second story. Um, I mean, do we have any thoughts on his character? I mean, he is kind of like the Bond villain school of acting. I called him uh, Nazi Neo. That's what I refer to him as. <laughs> and I I didn't mind him at all. Um, he he seemed, he was like a, a bit of an engaging presence. Him and, and uh, Pendragon in the second half. I liked them both as, as villains go. Yeah. Um, but when his, he returns as the, the big villain of the second half as well, it's like he's been away for half a season instead of almost an entire episode. He's like, oh my god, Eldritch is back! It's that guy from it's from like months ago when we first it's saw a, him. It's that guy from two weeks ago. <laughs> it's that guy from, oh, that episode I watched ten minutes ago. It's yeah. Him. Okay. That seems like and, a bit I mean, of a letdown. In, in terms of, like, internal storytelling time, it's like it happened, like, from what I, the, the implication is that there's been the first three episodes and the second three episodes are divided by an entire weekend. <laughs> which could, exp- which oh, could explain why everybody <laughs> is wearing the same clothes. <laughs> it was probably filmed the same day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but I think we mentioned already Miss uh, Maitland, the, the teacher, the only adult ally these kids have. Um, I mean, it yeah, takes it- uh, six <laughs> episodes to finally tap into a badass self where she... <laughs> Slowly demolishes a water pipe using a digger. <laughs> in probably was the what probably was considered the height of action back in the early nineties. I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she goes through a lot. She has to take a lot of a lot of insults from these three kids. They just keep telling her how, how old she is and how they don't expect her to to like go along with their wacky schemes because she's too old. And I'm thinking she looks like. What mid thirties? You know, granted, shots. when you're when you're a ch- when you're a child, you think your teachers are ancient, but still. I, I was even clear at the beginning whether Marcy was like a student or a TA because she just obviously, I guess, the character is supposed to be thirteen, but Victoria Lambert is so clearly not thirteen years old. <laughs> You know, it, w- it was like the the episode of Buffy we watched, where at 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 one point the techno pagan girlfriend that they set up for Giles, I was like, is she faculty? Because there are students that look older than her. Yeah. Um, she has got that little Jimmy cranky vibe to her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, that's a yeah. If, if if this is a if we're making the Doctor Who parallels, she's the brigadier. She's always perpetually put upon and always having to clean up other people's messes and has kind of like a, a sort of brute force 
attitude. You just kind of towards solving problems. You just basically deny that a problem exists for the entire story for the first two parts of the story and then the third act you basically pick like one method and just pull through it until you get through it or somehow just make it through the episode without dying or being insulted to death i mean do we anyone else take anything away from this at um, all is I, it... I, I want to mention kate winslet's hair <laughs> in this which is um there's your number one sign that this was made in 1991. Is that I, I'm pretty sure her hair that 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 weird color red that only comes out of cans of manic panic hair dye, um, you know that that specific shade I think actually has is called Mickey Berenyi from Lush Red. Well, it's a precursor <laughs> to Eternal Sunshine as well as mine. You know that's why she got cast in that. It's because she can dye her hair red. Well, there you go. It's the only reason. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for myself, I mean, the dark season it sits in that special group of shows that I remember fondly from my childhood. It wasn't like Grange Hill or um, Biker Grove, uh, where it was all about teaching about moral consequences of things, and this was just essentially like a fun Doctor Who esque show that basically filled in the gap because at that point Doctor Who was winding down. I mean, Sylvester McCoy was sort of seeing out the last few episodes. So, I mean, you obviously had this. Uh, you had the Demon Headmaster. Yes, had... I was about to say that. That's uh, my equivalent, is the Demon Headmaster. A lot of people confuse this with the Demon Headmaster. Um, did you find the Demon Headmaster scary? Because that traumatised me as well as a child. I, I don't remember. I just remember, I remember watching it, and I remember the, the main guy in it being someone I might have considered scary, but I don't know if I was scared of him or not. I can't say. I have this... this massive blind spot in my head of all TV I watched as a child. I cannot remember anything. In in the um I was talking to my parents the other day, I went to a, a family wedding and my mum was saying how I used to play uh, Power Rangers with my neighbour after school one day or most days and I can't remember ever watching Power Rangers. I can't remember I couldn't tell you anything about it. Same with uh the Ninja Turtles. I used to I apparently had a cake with of one of the turtles, but I don't remember ever watching it. I still don't know which one's Shredder, which one's Splinter. I I don't know which of the turtles is which. I just have. I think I must have had some kind of aneurysm or something in my past, oh. where I just forget all this stuff. I love the tells. It was. I apparently did. I love the <laughs> fact that in the in Britain the uh, censors were down on nunchuckers. So whenever Michelangelo charged at the screen, they cut out his nunchucker, so he's just always using a fist. Um, and in <laughs> the films, they had to like constantly give him improvised weapons. So hence. He's shown garroting some with a string of sausages. <laughs> um, yeah, well, this, so... this is the same board who didn't like them being called mutants. They're to be heroes, isn't it? They were, they yes, were it was teenage it was the, hero they ninja turtles. Ninjas. No, they, they that's, to... I thought yeah. they were allowed to be mutants. No, they were teen, cause they were teenage mutant hero turtles. Okay, I thought they were teenage States. hero ninja turtles. No, okay. in the states they were teenage mutant ninja turtles. Yes, yes, that um, seems ridiculous, even more so. Yeah, the uh, the censorship board didn't like the word ninja either. Why do we live in this country? Well, <sighs> you could live in you could live in my country. No, we've thank you. Donald, we've got Donald <laughs> Trump running for president. Oh dear. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure what the British equivalent of that would be. Oh. Um, I don't know the uh, guy from uh, the guy from that. Piers uh, Morgan. 
Uh, oh, oh yeah, Scott, it's Morgan. You, I mean, you can keep that guy. <laughs> they sent him back to us. We've yeah, yeah, we sent him it. back to you. We don't want him anymore. Okay. Yeah, you you kept the receipt on that one. Yeah, I just have to ask. It's sort of like you're going over there, essentially on a visa, and your whole strategy is is to piss off your hosts by challenging one of their core beliefs, the right to bear arms, um, and you as the the, the person here who do, who's not a citizen is going to go over there and tell them how to run their country. And you're surprised when they get pissed at you. Yeah, we don't like that. Yeah. Even even if, as a, as a rule, even if we don't agree with it, even if we would agree with the the per, the, um, the foreigner, in this case, we, we don't tend to go for that kind. We don't tend to go, tend to, uh, we just really don't like other countries for the most part. <laughs> just don't stand um, for that kind of shit. We just, yeah, we just don't stand for this whole kind of thing, like disagreeing with us. You know, we'll go to war with you. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, speaking of tells, Kevin Eastman, I met him once while I was working in Birmingham Airport. Very, ma- very nice man. And uh, who would also go on to work, create heavy metal. Yeah. Is... Well, not create heavy metal. He, he worked on it. it. Yeah, he, re- he, he resurrected it, I guess. Oh. Well, I... I thought he was awesome, and uh, you can also see him. He he turns up as uh, turns up in Return to Savage Beach. Oh, so if you because um, it's part of the the Triple B series by Andy Sedaris, uh, bombs, yeah, with... babes, and bullets. Yeah, because um, he was married to a former playmate at one. He point. was married to. Oh God, I used to know who he was married to. Um, but yeah, he was married to a former playmate, and he he would always have these midden. He would always have these playmates, whoever were like the um, like the the, mo- the more recent playmates. Yeah. Um, and he'd always find a way to stick Julie Strain in there as well. Yeah. But my yeah, my personal favorite of that little batch being the um, uh, the Dallas connection because of my uh, my crush on Miss December, I think nineteen ninety, Wendy Hamilton. Yeah. I made uh, Will watch uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii for uh, the episode of Exploding Helicopter podcast that I appeared on. So yeah. definitely check out his show if you're not already. Will's uh, Will Slater over explodinghelicopter.com. Um, his show, um, Exploding Helicopter podcast, is uh, available on iTunes and Podomatic, so well worth checking out. He's just on a show on Machete Kills. Um, but yeah, he's kind of like our, our go-to guy for anything involving exploding helicopters, and he's obviously been on the show. He, we had him on to uh, talk about the Night Stalker and uh, X Files, and he's uh, definitely a, a great, uh, great guy to go on. He's kind of like the reverse Hulk. We love him when he gets angry. Yeah, yeah and, and it, that's often. It's always yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the dark season. Uh, before we obviously. Uh, to get on to what we oh yeah that thing what uh what do we have any final thoughts i mean i think it stands up i really enjoyed it um i thought it was a fun watch and the fact it's six episodes long so three hours in total it's uh it's it's not a big time suck and you know it's enjoyably daft especially if you're a doctor who fan an old school doctor who fan i should yeah it it definitely has a a lot of that vibe Uh, and and, you know the, the sylvester mccoy era that final era really is not my favorite era of Doctor Who. I'm very much a sort of late Pertwee, early Tom Baker, mid-70s type of guy when it comes to my taste in Doctor Who, but there are some adorable stories from that era, and that is the sort of thing where, you know, if if you wonder what, like, it had, what it would have been like, 
Uh, you know, if they had done another series with Sylvester McCoy, this is kind of really kind of got a, a good, will give you a good feel, a feel of kind of like what kind of uh, place it kind of held in, in, in British popular culture at the time. It's definitely dated. You know, it's definitely dated. It's, you know, these ideas of what computer you could do with a computer, uh, the idea of whether big baggy knee shorts were ever a good idea. Um, you know, again, you know, stuff like that, you know, it, 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 it looks, it looks 1991. It is, I think, I think it does kind of require a certain kind of mindset. You kind of have to be in, 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 able to appreciate, um, and as with Sapphire and Steel, you've got to be able to kind of look past a, a shoestring budget. And it, it is a peculiar sort of strain of, I guess, children's adventure, sci-fi adventure, fantasy adventure story. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if I would ever have wanted um, a full season of it or a full, like, three or four seasons of it. I don't know if I could watch it, but all, all that much of it. But I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It was, it was fun. Cool. Jay? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, and it, although it was, it was fun. Um, I'm, I'm in no way surprised that of the main three actors, only Kate Winslet went on to do anything else. Um, because the actors that played Marcy and Thomas, not great. Yeah. Often not great. Uh, I know it's you kind of roll on the dice with child actors, and they got snake eyes. Um, yeah. I'm pleased that I've crossed it off the Kate Winslet list. It's not the it's not the worst thing she's been in. <laughs> you know, movie forty three, a kid in King Arthur's court. Uh, he was in a kid in King Arthur's court. Yeah, I with, never knew that. With, with a young Daniel Craig. Oh um, my god. And there's an animated film called Fairies with an E, where there should be no E, which is just awful and has some of the worst CGI I've ever seen. That's probably the bottom three of, of what Winslet has done. Wow. Never watched that. Jeremy Irons and Dougray Scott are in that as well. They voice characters. It's just just awful. <laughs> yeah. Just she's done some really, really bad films. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> That's our uh, two main selections. Obviously, in a slight change up to the format, and just really as we uh, start to round out the show, I mean, let's uh, just obviously have just a quick look at what's obviously been uh, holding our attention in the time since our last episode. Um, I mean, Lucky, did you want to go first? Uh, I think Jay should go first. Okay, Jay. Well, you've been watching. Okay, well, this is the time of year where I actually turn my TV on uh, because I don't watch a great deal, but Game of Thrones is back. Yep, that's it. Couldn't tell. Yes. Yes. <laughs> They've only been advertising for six months. So. I know, and now they're still doing it, but they'll stop in a five weeks' time, in theory. Uh, yeah, I'm. Are we? Can we do spoilers? Um, we're gonna say there will be spoilers ahead. Okay. Um, I'm trying not to give anything anything too major away, just because I know there are okay. people out there still binging, and people get very upset when you spoil Game of Thrones so Ooh, okay. I have some stories about that but never mind I'll, I'll hold the door shut on the spoilers then okay. there we go <laughs> okay so I I am kind of liking the season so far season 6 we're up to but I, I really like the, the parts of Game of Thrones where it's set in like the heart of Westeros and the, the storylines are kind of affecting one another and people are traveling from one place to another, and you kind of know what their mission is. So yeah. I'm not a massive fan of what's going on with Bran at the moment, where with the tree with uh, uh, Max von Sydow, 
tree guy because uh, I don't know where that's going and I just don't like Bran as a character. Similarly, I, I really like Arya as a character, but I don't like her storyline at the moment because it's just separate from everyone else. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's going to affect anyone else. And I want people to be interacting with one another and there's just too much magic and nonsense going on. I like people fighting and the big battle scenes. Yeah. I'm I'm quite surprised that I like what's going on over on Pike on the on the Iron Islands because in the book that was interminable to get through. That oh was, god, yeah. <laughs> um when that was like half of half of one of the longer books and it was a real slog to get through that. But they seem to be going through a, a, a quite a brisk pace in the show, which well done for them. Good good job on condensing that. The Iron Islands, they're the the naval fleet people is that right yes yeah, where, where theon is from okay the Greyjoys. yeah because yeah, um someone posted this i think just before i came on i caught this the fact that we have i'm just going one spoiler ahead um the fact that we have 12 people watching someone have a salt bath <laughs> and he gets into power compared to the person who with an army of 40 steals half the navy yeah oh yeah i, I think i think that that meme would have been posted by um me <laughs> I think he probably was you, Lucky. So, because I, I I did post it and basically say it's like what's what's the deal here? Is it the uh, the Iron Islands have a uh, a dysfunctional Iron Electoral College, or is it just that they're a bunch of sexist dicks? Uh, uh, a bit from column A and a bit from column B, I think. Yeah, uh, but I, I just the line that followed that. Where's my niece and nephew? Let's go murder them. Just <laughs> what? What is why? Who would? How does no one turn around and think we want this guy to lead us? Mm. He just no. That's no. One he has of, no kind of tact. One of my favorite fan sites is uh, Chris watches Game of Thrones, where uh, she takes screen caps and puts like alternate dialogue in there, and she basically has decided that the woman who does that has basically decided that Euron Greyjoy is Donald Trump, so he keeps saying things like, I, I have a billion dollar boat, I can make a million boats, if I get people to make boats, I'll make them pay for it, I can make them for three dollars a boat. It's he hilarious. has all the best words. He does. Yeah. I, I'm gonna see him in a whole new light now. I think that may have saved it was, Euron um, for me. <laughs> It was it, it it was not quite as funny as um, the plot line where uh, apparently Stannis had decided he was Batman, <laughs> which re- which resulted in John saying to him once, uh, "The reason Mance won't bend the knee is because you're a fucking nerd." <laughs> so would that make Davos Alfred? I you know I, that makes about as much sense <laughs> as any other interpretation of Davos. <laughs> I like Davos. I want him to do oh, Davos stuff. is great. Liam Cunningham always liked him. Yeah, and the fact that um, like the the little group that has just left the wall, I'm yeah. looking forward to them, and I'm 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 loving the whole um, it, it... Tormund and Brienne. <laughs> it's my one of my favorite parts of Game of Thrones, just in general. The, the, the <laughs> animated gif that Heather Baxendale posted of Tormund yeah. giving Brienne the eye yeah. and just looking away like what the fuck have I gotten myself into I just was sat watching that for minutes hilarious. <laughs> yeah. just, I, I love that oh god I yeah it's, it's great to have it's great to have John and Sansa together it, it's nice to actually have Starks together yes. in the same place for like I the thought... first time since like 2012. As soon as Sansa set off to go and see John on the Wall, I thought, okay, 
which one of them's going to die before she gets there. Because Starks do not meet. This is not. Right. This does not happen. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but the, but their their storyline is is the one that I'm liking at the moment because they have a, a a goal. They have a mission. They're trying to do. They're trying to take back the North. And yeah. so I I can see what's going on there. Everyone else is just I don't know what's going on anywhere. Even even down in like King's Landing. I am Cersei so- and Tyrion. I can't remember why Marjorie's in prison. I don't know what she's doing in there. It's, it's uh, I can't even remember that. It's just a sort of like, I am just sick to death of Jamie and Cersei by now. Yeah. Which it's kind of, it, it, it's kind of strange. You know, the, my two favorite actors on the show, Lena Hetty and Nikolai Kostervalda, are like my two least favorite characters on the show. I, I it, it's like. You know, particularly last season where it was just like Cersei, just let's spin the wheel of paranoia. And who have we decided is responsible for Joffrey's death this week? You know, who's in league with Tyrion to to, to, to take everything I love away from me? And it was just, um, you, you know, with the walk of shame, it did actually manage to, uh, I think, a, a major miracle in making me feel some actual sympathy for her. You know, like she's like some sort of human being um, and not just like a, a card against humanity come to life. Um, but it, it's just like this whole thing of, um, you know, okay, yes, let's, we need a way to undercut the Tyrell influence. We need to get, you know, Marjorie's got too much influence over Tommen. So let's, let's arm the faith militant. Let's get rid of the old high Septon, put Jonathan Price in there. Oh, wait, Jonathan Price is out of control. He's our enemy, you know? And it's just like, oh Christ, you know, do you ever 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 like face the consequences of your actions and as much you as know, i like jonathan price i i'm looking forward to when he dies because that character yeah. has to die at some point and it's gonna I, be I, good yeah but um, how great was it to see richard e grant in there oh my god i, I had I, no I, idea i would never have recognized <laughs> him like I, I mean i would have recognized him like once he took off the makeup yes. and like the zone of arrogance goes up because like richard e grant love him but he's got that zone of arrogance around him yeah you know where you you just you know you just want to punch him in the face once you get within a mile of him <laughs> but he's a great actor he's a but i never would have i never would have recognized him if my friend hadn't pointed out um oh yeah there's richard e grant oh richard e grant's in this cool yeah i didn't notice until until as you say he took the makeup off and yeah, take the makeup off. And then he looks exactly like you know Richard E. Grant. Yeah. Like, wow. Well, he would. Yeah. I have <sighs> to say, this season has left me a little underwhelmed. Um, I've not had the same sort of buzz that I've had off the previous seasons. I'm not sure if it's because George R. R. Martin has gone off to write the final book. Has he? Um, done? I don't know. Apparently, <laughs> he's not involved in this season. No, he's he off... hasn't been involved in the last couple seasons. And. This season, it just because there's a lot of new material. I'm, am I right in saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, we've, we've reached the end of the books for pretty much yeah, all the storylines. It's I, part of me when I was watching the end of the last episode, the one that just aired, and I can't help but had this uh, funny idea. Of George R. R. Martin's there. He's writing. It finishes the final book, and it's like, it's like, and Hodor sits on the Iron Throne, and he, <laughs> and he was the pimp daddy. And then he looks up and looks up and sees, oh, Game of Thrones on. Let's see what's happening on Game of Thrones this week. And then his just jaw drops, and he just realizes they fucked up the bloody series, and has to go back and rewrite the uh, rewrite the book because they keep screwing around with his characters. So I don't know. There's just I'm hoping that it's going to pick up the next few episodes. And now we've 
sort of move people around into new positions. We've introduced new characters and established where where old characters are and what they're actually doing. We've got past that whole cliffhanger of the previous season that things are going to pick up. And we've already got the zombie version of the mountain, which I've been enjoying. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's at the moment, I mean, the old um, Mother of Dragons, I don't think she seems to be making any sort of progress at all. She just seems to be going in one big circle. I've I've never liked Danny's storyline. Even in the books and on the show, I've always found her arc to be the, the weakest. Yeah. And I thought, oh, Tyrion's over there. I'm going to be interested in this bit now. But then they just put Tyrion in a boring storyline. <laughs> as far like, as I'm concerned. This is the thing. She, she, she rises to power, then loses power. And then rises to power again, and she loses power. And wait a minute, oh wait, she's back with the Delphraki now. And yeah. It's sort of like, <laughs> and then it was sort of like they made this whole thing about her being fireproof. I think, well, we established this back in season one that she's fireproof. So as soon as we saw her basically setting that up, everyone was like, oh, it's this incredible ending. I didn't see that coming. I was like, how did you not see that coming? You know, she's fireproof. These other people obviously aren't fireproof. <laughs> people need There's to only... stop being around her and fire. If yeah, you're in only... the same room as Danny and fire, leave the room. Yeah. yeah. You know, if there's a dragon there, it's not going to end well for you. Yeah. Um, you can't control a dragon. She can. These are the rules that, you, that no one ever seems to grasp hold of. So, I don't know. I'm ho- I've yet to have that big Game of Thrones moment. We've not had... Like had like moments like the sand snakes, like uh, the the daughters we had in the previous season, who were busy going around poisoning everyone, which I thought was absolutely great. Do you reckon uh, we're going to go oh, back I to dawn it. at some? Or do you think <laughs> we're going to go back to dawn at some point ever? I hope so. <laughs> it's one of my favorite territories. Um, that's in uh, the Ironborn, uh, like who finally decided to do something now after. Goodness, how many seasons? Because let's do something. We're in contract, but not when... making any money. But so, oh, when Game of Thrones first came out, the Sky Atlantic were like, "Oh, which house do you belong to?" And you could belong to Hufflepuff. Uh, oh, so I'm from, and it's like <laughs> they made this big deal with them being this major family, and obviously now they finally decide to do something. So yeah, they're like one of the four or five main families. Yeah, um, yeah, but I. When uh, Ian McShane was announced as being cast in in the show at some point, I thought he's gonna be Euro and Greyjoy. That's gonna be awesome, and because I, I feel like he would be absolutely perfect casting. Um, and I'm a little disappointed that they've cast somebody else, especially I when was... I, I've got I got a feeling for the character that that uh, McShane's gonna be playing, and it's not enough for my Ian McShane fix. Yeah, um, I was kind of holding out for Mads Mikkelsen. That's a very different character than Ian McShane, but yes, that would <laughs> yes. be amazing. Yeah, I can see it's that. It's still 10 out. But, but yeah, but yeah we, we're, we're about halfway through the season, and we haven't had Ian McShane yet, and I'm really looking forward to Ian McShane. Well, I think that they have too many characters at this point. Like, I, where yeah. is Bronn? I love Bronn. I want Bronn to come back and do something, but I think they just run out of stuff for him to do. I think Bronn's yeah. on his own island at the moment. I think last time we I saw him, he was that. a duke. I want to see bloody Jerome on his own island. Um, Checking it back with his lady. You know. Bronn's great. I miss Bronn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Is there anything Sorry. else that we want to discuss about Game of Thrones? Uh, no, it, there's only uh, two more seasons after this, I think. Yeah. Like one yeah, and a half. The, they want to... Um, Benioff and Weiss, Weiss want to wrap it up after season, I guess, seven. Seven or... No, eight. I think it's about right. Where we are now, and my current feelings on the series, I feel that that it's got enough juice in the tank to get to seven. Um, I don't feel it's going to be one of these series that's going to burn out. Um, I think that it's going to take us till seven just to wrap up where all these characters are. There's, it's that vast the cast of characters and, and plots at the moment. So I think it's going to take us to season seven just to basically get anything in. But do we want to make a new prediction who ends up on the Iron Throne at the end? I... Sir I, Pounce. <laughs> no. Uh, it won't be, but I, I'd like it to be Littlefinger. Um, he's a character that I, I do enjoy, and I was glad to see him return in this episode, but it won't be him. He will no. He will at some point die. Um, but I, I'd like it to be him. No, I, I like, I'm going with the fan theory that the, the three-headed dragon is Tyrion, Danny, and Jon. Yeah. And something will happen between those three, and Sansa will end up running the whole thing. No, Tormund and Brienne. King and Queen Tormund of Westeros. Tormund and Brienne, there you go. King and Queen of Westeros. There we go. Done. Cool. <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> okay, I mean, obviously, Game of Thrones has been holding everyone's attention, but for myself, it pales into comparison to a show we've we've mentioned maybe one or twice on the show, and in, perhaps in briefly passing, and that's Gotham, um, which continues to be phenomenal. It's just ended in the states. This second series, I, it's thrown. It felt like we've had three seasons worth of material thrown into one series, and so far they've only made one misstep, in my opinion, and that's in the creation of of Mister Freeze. Whereas when he's first introduced as Victor Freeze, he's got a similar outfit to Captain Cold uh, in the Flash. But when he becomes Mister Freeze, he becomes suddenly a bleached version of Jim Jamoosh. <laughs> which is again is. It's one minor misstep in this fantastic season. We've seen BD Wong come back. I know some of you there to Jay to be excited about. I am a fan part. of BD Wong, but um, no matter how much you rave about this show, you've yet to convince me to watch a single second of it. Okay, BD Wong shows up <laughs> as uh, the Asian version of Doctor Strange. Okay. Or Hugo Strange. And the show itself, it's for those not familiar with it, it's a Sin City-esque version of Batman in a way with the young Jim Gordon basically trying to bring law and order to the city of Gotham. And as we also see the early beginnings of the various Batman villains as well as young Bruce Wayne basically taking his formative steps towards becoming Batman. I know there's people out there who bashed on the first season. The second season has really been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm going to continue just promoting the hell of it because I've absolutely loved it and I'm looking forward to season three. Other exciting news for releases, we saw the return of both Banshee and Silicon Valley this week. Uh, um, I don't know, do either of you guys watch Banshee at all? No, but I, I am working my way through season two of Silicon Valley. Okay. Um, I have only recently heard of Banshee, which is, I guess, kind of surprising considering it's apparently been going on for a while. Yeah, we're on our final season now, Banshee, sadly. Basically, it's about this uh, ex-con named Lucas Hood. He's a thief who's hiding out in the town of Banshee. Um, it's an Amish town, and he basically assumes the role of the dead sheriff. Um, and basically, he's the badass who does bad things to bad people. Um, 
this show again it's very gritty it's bloody it's violent and it's absolutely great for the grime content it's again it's only one of the final season now it's only had four seasons but it's a show definitely worth checking out silicon valley jay you said already you're a fan yeah i i'm going through season two so i, I kind of caught it really late i think i saw an episode on a plane and liked it and so i went back and watched the rest of it uh, yeah, I like the characters. Uh, it, it's not as funny as I thought it would be in terms of uh, like jokes per minute. Um, it's more kind of slow build or like background humor. Yeah. Um, but I, I enjoy it all the same, and I like pretty much all of the main guys. The, the one I'd not um, seen anything he's in before, the guy who plays Jared. Can't remember his name, but he's yeah. my favorite. I, I like his character because he's the epitome of, of uncoolness, and I can relate to that. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love Silicon Valley. Like, are you a fan of Silicon Valley? I have not. Uh, I have not had a chance to see it yet. That's very surprising. I would have thought this would have been really up your sort it, of street. It's a um, it's it's an HBO or a Showtime show, right? Okay. It's not. Yeah, and I don't have premium cable over here. And um, actually, really, the only reason I actually watch Game of Thrones is because um, I have a, a friend with an HBO subscription, and we go over to his place on Thursdays and watch it. Um, but it, it's just, it takes these episodes for these shows a long time to get to streaming. Um, and so like a lot of these premium shows, other than Game of Thrones, like uh, Homeland, which runs on Showtime, I was really hyped for the first couple seasons of Homeland, and then I fell behind, and I don't have the network, and I'm, I'm not going to pay like 15 bucks a month for it, Yeah, uh, just for the one show. I have heard a lot of good things about, about Silicon Valley. Um, I'm looking forward to checking it out eventually, I just don't know when it's going to be. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's surprising that a show from the creator of Beavis and Butthead and King the Hill could be so smart. Um, I mean, my judge is a really sort of switched on guy. Anyone who's seen interviews with him or knows his past, he was an aerial engineer. Right. Before he obviously went into doing animation. Um, and obviously did Beavis and Butthead been his standout thing and then he did King the Hill. But it's so surprisingly smart and it's really taps into that same area as betas tried to do or microsoft's um which i believe that sorry jpod jpod uh, yeah which you liked but again i yeah. get into it's douglas copeland yeah it's basically just these nerdy guys working in the va- in the the valley basically trying to develop this this groundbreaking program while at the same time facing competition from all these rival companies are basically trying to rip them off um, and about while well, they essentially just Forrest Gump the way through each episode <laughs> it's um, uh yeah is it is it like a period show does it take place or it does take place in the modern day modern day because it's yeah. the, 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 the the one that I'm drawing the parallels to um which is a period show and is a drama is um halt and catch fire which is um a series that is I I don't know why I'm not watching that either um, but that that's a show that takes place in like the early eighties and is about like the it's a fictional a very thinly fictionalized um version of the um the the race to build the uh the IBM PC. It's if you've not seen Silicon Valley, it's certainly one of those shows that's definitely worth checking out, uh when you can. You can get the first two seasons on box set at the moment and uh yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's it just fun, fun, you know. It's a very easy show to sit down and binge, I find. Yeah, it's not, not one to take too seriously. You just kind of want to have on and enjoy it. Yeah. 
I think my favorite moment they've had so far is when they're trying to work out the compression rate of this program by comparing it to the amount to jerking off every guy in the room yeah. of guys that they can jerk off at one time. Yeah, that's I saw that clip before ever watching the show, and that's one of the reasons that I kind of started watching it. It's easily the highlight of the first season. Um, it's just right right at the end of the last episode of it. It's just yeah, they they just start that off on a really offhand comment, and then it just goes on for the entire night of them working out the best way of doing this. It's a lot. I good can... sleep bad. Your play, your your source for masturbation jokes. <laughs> it's wonderful. It really is. Just. Okay, um, you know, would would like girth have an effect? And just see all the guys in the room miming, <laughs> jacking off two two guys at once, and changing the girth side, and thinking, yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> That's comedy. <laughs> uh, you've also got one of my favorite characters in this is um, a Satanist who's on their, <laughs> he's on their program. Um, I don't remember his name now. Oh, it's, it's Martin Starr playing Yeah, him. Martin Starr, Guilfoyle. Um, That's the one. And they have this episode where they go to a Satanist meeting because uh, one of the heads of Yahoo has decided to take the left-handed path. <laughs> and they're like, they go to the Satanist meeting and they're talking about violeting, the, uh, violeting their parking and putting on a nice spread for them. Well, this supposed head of Yahoo sitting there bollock naked. <laughs> It's, as I said, I just really can't recommend this enough. Just go watch it. Take our recommendation for it. You've got myself and Jay. There's two people there recommending the show. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Definitely check it out. My last sort of standout recommendation over on Crunchyroll is the series Girls on Panza, uh, which is an anime series. It's in an alternate timeline where schools teach tankery as an elective class. Then they hold competitions uh, in these old girls' schools where they hold so mock tank battles with each other which instead of blowing each other up they fire these shells which uh, can read when a tank's been hit and they shoot up these flags so they engage in mock tank battles it's a fantastically funny show and the fact that you've got all these different social groups who all have their own sort of tanks so you've got like the whole monitors, you've got the volleyball team, you've got the history nerds who all dress up as different tank commanders throughout history, you've got one dressed as Pavan. it's a wonderfully random show and again it's only about 12 episodes long so it's a fun one to uh, to knock out over on uh, Crunchyroll and especially if you've been looking for an entry point to get into some anime and not wanting to take on something that's 148 episodes long uh, Girls on Panzer is uh, a great little starting point um, Blackie I mean have you got anything else that you want to watch? Um, yeah, you got anything? Uh, my TV season is, is winding down uh, Better Call Saul is done for the year. Um, I think I mentioned. I don't know whether that had finished by the last uh, uh, by the last time I, I did a, a uh, last episode. Um, we had uh, several finales this week. Uh, the only one I can remember is um, <clears throat> called The Midwife. But uh, the one the ones that are kind of, the one that's kind of on its uh, uh, closing stretch for the year. This has been an absolutely sterling season for the Americans. Um, just, um, and have either of you watched the Americans? Nope. No, but, um, I remember you recommended, recommending it to me and, uh, it's on the list to watch. Cause I know it's on Amazon prime at the moment. So eventually yeah. I will get around to watching it much like better Call Soul. I will yeah. actually get around to watching it. 
Um, yeah, Better Call Saul had a bit of a slow start this season, but really the last three or four, the last three or four episodes were absolutely top notch. Um, but the Americans has been just knocking it out of the park this year. Um, some absolutely great perform, great writing, great performances um, from the cast. Uh, Dylan Baker has joined as a uh, gruff, cynical uh, Dylan Baker character that he plays <laughs> in everything he ever does. Um, he's he's a uh, he's wonderful to watch in here. Um, the other show that I really, really have liked where it's gone this year, and I never thought I'd say this because I, I thought there was no way in hell this show could be good when I started watching this Bates Motel. Um, Bates Motel, um, next year is most likely going to be the final year. Uh, Carlton Cuse, I think, has said it's going to be like a five-season story. So this was just the end of season four, and there has just been some brilliant, brilliant stuff going on here um some some again i i can't recommend the cast on the show uh has has really been amazing um freddie highmore vera farmiga nestor carbonell obviously and uh uh ryan hurst opie from sons of anarchy has had a recurring role as an eccentric uh drug dealer he he was introduced last season um as a neighbor of caleb and dylan and uh he's just uh, he he is just you can really Carlton Cuse has always said that uh, Twin Peaks has been a prime influence on Bates Motel and you can just see that in the character of Chick. But um, those are the two that I those are the two shows those and that and um, uh, Better Call Saul those are the shows I'm really really hyping this year. Um, like I said, but this has really been very very easily the best seasons of, of, of Bates Motel and the Americans so far uh, the Americans has been uh, renewed for its final two seasons so it's going to go to season six so it's uh, you know uh, Weisberg and I can't remember Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg uh, they're getting a chance to and you can you can kind of see them moving the pieces into play uh, for the for the end game on this one but it, it has just been to go back to the Americans it has just been emotional an emotional um, run of episodes here. I cannot recommend the show more highly. I've not yet to watch Bates Motel. Um, I think because it's on Universal over here in in the UK, and unless it's Law and Order, it kind of gives me like a a question mark over a series if it shows up on Universal first, the same as if it shows up on Watch instead of like uh-huh. the main channel, like like Atlantic or Sky One. It's sort of like okay, wasn't good enough for them to pick it up. Does this mean it's only going to have one season? Or does it not mean that it's of a less quality? So I've not watched Bates Motel. Um, I think only the one other person who's been watching, that's Christine over at the Feminine Critique. And uh-huh. she's said positive things about it, like yourself. But it, 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 take, it, it I did not, I actually ended up skipping the first season because I just felt it... It, it had potential in the first season, but I felt it really just hadn't. It took, for me, a long time to get its groove. It really didn't start to really grab me until early last season. But the, the, here it has just been, they have been knocking it out of the park, or I guess to uh, whatever the cricket um, equivalent of knocking it out of the park is. I mean, it's um, pretty much still knocking it out of the park. Okay. Um, yeah. Knocked it for six. <laughs> it knocked it for six. I mean, they're really, you know... It's 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 I I I I'm I'm loving the hell out of it. 
And and there have really there there was a, a big shock in the penultimate episode of the season that I, I will not spoil. But really something I knew was coming, but I was just like, ooh, they're doing it now. And it's just mm, love it. We got anything else that's still been holding our attention, guys? Or is there uh, is that it? Uh, I I liked the first episode of Angie Tribeca, but I haven't watched the rest of it yet. I've still gotta still gotta watch it. I will eventually got, get around to it. And um I'm still going through Parks and Rec. I'm up to season five, I think. And Brooklyn Nine Nine is still good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just waiting for the Great British Bake Off to come back. Yes. <laughs> I'm still waiting for. for I'm. I mean, we recently had a documentary, uh, "The Life of Human Pups," here in the UK. Uh, if you are in the UK and missed it, you can catch it on All Fours. Show about guys who like to dress up in PVC dog costumes and act like dogs. Apparently women don't like it. They like to do kid and play instead, which seems to be hinting at the sequel to this, uh, The Secret Life of Human Cats, I guess. So, I mean, Jay, did you watch it? I know everyone... I, d- I did not, watch. and after the description, I will not. <sighs> it doesn't sound like something I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> it sounds like something I'll sit and roll my eyes through the entirety of it. So, uh, <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah, that's my uh, little slice of randomness for you. <laughs> this episode uh, obviously brings us to the end of another edition of uh, TV Good Sleep Bad uh, obviously I'd like to spe- thank our special guest this evening Jay Clip, for uh, obviously joining us this evening thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure um, if people want to come and find you on the Tinterweb where's the best place to find you uh, well everything I write gets linked to from lifeversusfilm.com that's lifevsfilm.com and there's also you know the, the lamb site largearsemovieblogs.com that's Ass is actually ass, large ass, movieblogs.com, because it was created by an American, damn it. Um, or find me on Twitter, either at LifeVSFilm, at Lambcast for the podcast, or at the for the Lamb. Cool. Um, and obviously, next episode, uh, it's like, what have we got coming up? Well, uh, here he comes, here comes Speed Racer. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, the opening two-parter of what is probably the only anime that most people who aren't nerds have heard of, um, unless you're a kid who, unless you've got a kid who's really into Naruto or Pokemon or something like that. It's going to be the uh, opening episodes of Speed Racer um, from 1967. It's a, a two-parter. Um, I'm reminding myself of the title of the episodes here, variously referred to as The Great Plan or... Dash Mach 5. Cool. Um, apparently they really like to put exclamation points in their um, episode titles in Japan. I noticed a lot of that in like Ultra Q and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, for myself, we're going to be looking at a new web series called Jess Archer. This expands upon the original short, Jess Archer vs. The X. Um, if you're not familiar with this, Jess Archer is essentially a combination of Veronica Mars meets Scott Pilgrim. Um, so, very excited about this. They've just recently, as of this episode coming out, so every Monday they are going to be releasing a new episode of this web series. So, we're going to be looking at both Jess Archer versus The X, the original short, as well as the first episode of this new web series. So, uh, very excited to see that and obviously uh, to look at some Speed Racer, which is always cool to see some old school anime. Um, but if you want to uh, obviously uh, find us uh, like it was uh, the best place to find us 
the best place to find us is, well, the best place to find me is at thenightmaregallery.com, which I will be returning to uh, as soon as my life stops getting in the way of what's really important, which is watching thrillers and writing about them. Um, and you can also find me, I'm sure we have a website somewhere. I just always forget where it is. Yeah. If you, Head uh, to the internet. He's there somewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, obviously, if you want to uh, get in touch with the show, we are on Twitter, which is at TV Good Sleep Bad. We are on Facebook as well. Uh, just type in TV Good Sleep Bad. It will come up there as well. Um, please let us know your feedback. Uh, either let us know in the comment section below uh, or leave us a nice little rating on iTunes, whatever works for you. Obviously, full links, are, of course, are in the description section below. Um, and as myself, I will, as always, I'm still at from the DVD adepts of DVD Hell, uh, which is still business as usual. You can follow me on Twitter, which is at Elwood underscore Jones. And recently, I've just recently launched a video game podcast called Game Warp, which again you can find uh, on YouTube now. Just uh, typing Game Warp. We are, also have a Twitter feed up there which is at game warp podcast and the facebook page is up there as well again all links can be found at the bottom and you of just course want it's... to arrival uh, bubba wheat's media empire don't you this is the thing i just keep making these bloody things it's sort of like it seems it's like oh i got five minutes of my five minutes of free time what should i do i know i'll launch another show because Edison <laughs> is just what i love to do i've got um, like three podcasts i want to start but i just there is no way there is no way. Um, yeah, I've actually teamed up with uh, with Kim over at uh, Tranquil Dreams for this show. And we've just launched our first show where we looked at Unravel. Our show that's coming up, we're going to be looking at Life is Strange. Um, and this is all, of course, tied into the ThatMomentIn.com network, uh, where I'm also writing some uh, retro video game reviews as well. And just, you know, cleansing the palette from just looking at bizarre and obscure movies, so... It's a lot of fun, but definitely check them out as well, thatmovie.com. Yep, they're uh, that moment in, member of the lamb. Are they? I. This is the thing, I can never tell whether who's a lamb member or not. Just ask me. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have the list. <laughs> and I, just while we're obviously saying thanks, thanks again as always to the van, uh, at the van's video vortex for providing that intro as well as Fuzzy Machete for providing that wonderful intro music as well. But until next time, uh, this is Edward Jones saying goodbye. Uh, thank you again to my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey. Hello. Oh, sorry. Goodbye. <laughs> and, of course, thank you again to our special co-host, uh, Jay. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs>